0: Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. and I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a
1: constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we talked a lot about my struggles with reintegrating back into work, how that could look like. And then James gave a lot of advice on thinking about how to look at success, right? How do you define success potentially for Clever and for my role so that I can integrate back into it? Because a lot of times we can't understand how we're going to start doing something again because we actually don't understand the scope. We don't understand the goals. We don't understand anything about it. And so it's hard to embark on something that you have no idea about. So enjoy the episode. Okay, everyone, welcome to another week
0: of Startup Struggles. My name is James, and virtually across from me is Sean. And this podcast is where we talk about, as the title suggests, just struggles. Yeah. The normal day-to-day. Week-to-week. Problems that we, yeah, week-to-week, day-to-day issues, year-to-year. We're kind of discovering as we're recording and talking that problems actually never go away. And it's just all about learning how to react to problems, when to let them go, when to realize that some problems, the longer you hold on to them, just get bigger, even though they aren't really that big of an issue. So getting right into it. That's a really good intro. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like that? (laughs) Did you write that? No, I just came up with that on the fly. Wow. I was just thinking about, because so this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out a newsletter for my outside the world newsletter, but in it, I've never actually, maybe once I've talked about doing the podcast, but I've never had a section for it. So this week I'm going to include a section about startup struggles. And I was trying to think about what the hell do we actually talk about? Right. And so anyone that kind of comes in, they're going to think, what is the point? of this show and as I was thinking about it, it's just kind of made me realize that it's really therapeutic for us to discuss (laughs) that we have problems each week and it's honestly from week to week, maybe not such a big deal. And we hope that listeners who join in can also understand and take away some lessons and things that we've learned, I guess, over time. Yeah. So like going along on that, I heard an interesting, Lecture, an early part of a lecture today. I don't I don't know who it was, but he was holding a glass of water and he asked his classroom, How much do you think this glass of water weighs? And they all gave an estimate. And in the end, he said, Well, it actually doesn't matter right now how much the water weighs. A glass of water, when you hold it for one minute, is not that heavy. All of a sudden, if you hold it for an hour, it gets pretty heavy. Then if you hold it all day, your arm is shaking and you can't hold it up anymore. And so the analogy was that problems are the same. A lot of times, if you're holding onto a problem, they get heavier over time. And what you have to do is actually either decide to let the problem go or to solve it or to do something about it and to react very quickly. And yeah, so you know, I heard that yesterday and I guess it was in my subconscious, which is why I started the show off with that
1: kind of reference. That's good. On my end, I've been continuing to listen to... Um and read uh, Courage to be Happy, which has been, it's been good. It's just one of those things where I realize I've read so many books in this subject area that it's all gravy until you have to put into practice, right? And then once you even put into practice, it's kind of like the needs upkeep. It's not like uh, my golf swing is great and I don't need to practice anymore. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of golf analogies, by the way, now that I'm getting into golf. But no, like, that's kind of what I expected. I don't know why I expected this. I was telling a friend this this week that I spent so many years practicing meditation, so many years practicing good habits around mental health, like reading these books and putting to practice like the the ideas or just the mindset of loving what is, like being present. And for some odd reason, it made me think or believe that I was impervious to these problems. Like... I've gotten all my vaccine boosters, you know, like I'm all, you know, I'm good. I'm protected. I got all my knee guards and elbow guards on and I can't get hurt. It's like, no, then you can still get run over by a bus. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what I realized is like, it's not a one-time fix reading these books or having these conversations. It's really a continual practice of maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that routine, as you kind of talked a little bit about before this conversation, you want to talk about routine. I don't know what some of the things look like, Mm -hmm. but I will say like this past week, I feel like I found a good routine with my top two priorities. And so the first thing I did, if anyone's been listening for the past couple of weeks, I got Bell's palsy, had a just basically complete burnout. And then just feeling completely lost. I had a total mental breakdown and saying, like, what is my purpose? Like, what am I doing with my life? Right. What is the, the purpose of my life if I'm not working? Mm-hmm. Because work was all consuming, was all encompassing. It was just everything. And it took me four weeks to realize, holy shit, my like life priorities are out of whack. Work came before everything. And so my reprioritization was like, all right, family, miles, and then health, physical, mental. It, it took me another week to realize, no, no, you got to put the health part <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, I got to put me first because if I'm not healthy, then I can't be with my family anyway. I realized like part of that physical, mental health are all the things I enjoy doing. Things from learning Spanish to like learning something new to, which is Spanish right now, to um, learning golf, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm in a much better mental state or just place to spend time with miles and i spent a lot of time with him the past couple of weeks and it's been so nice like he calls me daddy now he's like daddy oh that's (laughs) awesome that's that's who i am like daddy (laughs) it's like sweet like every time he sees me he's like hi daddy (laughs) it's like the funniest thing (laughs) i can't just say it normally you know yeah I, i guess i don't know what normal is but yeah, what are you expecting to say? Like, Hey, what's up, dad? Yeah. What's up, dad? <laughs> hey, dad. <laughs> I also feel like he's developing more. I don't know if it's a part of the, his age or, you know, I'm spending a lot more time with him. Like he's talking more, he's feeling more confident doing new activities and things like that. And those are some things that like were bugging me three weeks ago where I was like, dude, and I, I don't like to compare him to other kids, but you know, in some ways I like to get a benchmark, right. of seeing like, what are, kids supposed to be like at his age. I see kids who are like six months younger than him that can talk and like communicate and, and do all these things and jump around. And and he's kind of very reserved. And I was a little bit worried about his developments. And the funny thing was like, I had nobody to blame but myself. <laughs> it's like, hmm. well, Sean, you haven't spent any time with him. What do you expect? Right? Like Mink is his mom, like his grandparents, they have their limitations as to what they can do for him, what they how they spend time with him, what they teach him. And then there's your part as the dad, the things that you're supposed to teach him. Right. And you can't just like expect the grandparents or the mom to do it. And so that's, I struggle with that. I don't think I ever talked about that. I really struggled with that for quite a bit. Because again, I was putting in the context of like, well, work is first. How do I fit this shit in? Mm. Right? And that was the mindset. I was like, how do I fit literally? Like, how do I fit the shit in? You know, it's like, <laughs> not shit. It's like the most important thing, honestly, in my life, like raising my, my son. And so once I had my priorities straight, then I was like, the shit was flipped. Mm. And I was like, now how do I reintegrate work? Like, how does work fit into all this amazing stuff that's happening with my personal like being able to spend time to take care of myself, do the things that I, I enjoy outside of work? I enjoy work. A little too much. Outside of work, right? And then all the things I enjoy with Miles. And I still haven't figured that out. I don't have an answer for that. So that's still persistent struggle. Because when I think about work or how to get back into it, I feel anxious. have a mild anxiety attack where I'm just like, dude, I don't know how to fit that. And I think it's part of it's because I'm trying to fit what work used to be, which is like all encompassing, right? Just I'm on 24 seven into this new lifestyle or this original lifestyle that I used to have pre-pandemic. Does it feel kind of like you're trapped or lack of freedom almost? Or before
0: when you were working, you had the freedom to work. And then now when you're not working, you have the freedom to do family time, to do you. Mm -hmm. And now trying to mix both where they've never been intertwined before, it almost feels like you have no freedom at all.
1: That's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, the way you're describing it, like I could say yes. Yeah. Well, so the reason
0: why, the reason why I asked this is because I've been wondering why I haven't. So for any listener, new listeners, I've been unemployed for two years now. It's called fun employed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it really, it's been a luxury. Not everyone has that ability to take this much time off. But what I've noticed during that time is when I was employed, I felt that I didn't have enough time to do the things that I wanted to do. And then now that I took away what I thought was taking the most time, I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And so I've been considering this idea of like going back to work and having a nine to five or eight to five or eight to six or whatever type job. And it's only 40 hours a week. And during unemployment, I really thought about what did I spend a lot of my time on for like 40 hours a week? What did I do? And a lot of it, honestly, I was being brutally honest with myself, was just sitting on the couch or sitting on the bed or a lot of like doing nothing. And I'm trying to think that if I replace that with work, it just makes sense. I wasn't doing anything anyway, so it doesn't change the way that I kind of live, but it limits the freedom that I have to do nothing, which is really weird it doesn't make any sense. And I think trying to get back into a mindset of work or having like a responsibility to do something that takes 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, when before you could do anything you wanted with that time, it feels like a replacement and it feels like, oh, now I can't do the other stuff, right? It feels like this is what I'm just gonna focus on all the time, this is a new priority. And so everything else gets shifted down. And so it seems to me like a lot of struggles with having to balance priority comes from that is like thinking one is way more important than the other. And so if there is something that's competing, we think that it feels like a trap where it feels like it takes away time to do the other priority. And so the struggle right now for you and me both is we have the freedom and the priority is set for like, in your case, it's family and your health. For me, it would it would have been like mental health. And now I'm trying to put in this other priority of of work. And work feels forced. It feels like it's something we have to do, and it's more of like a responsibility. And because it's kind of nudging aside what we think our main priority should be, it it just doesn't feel comfortable. It just feels like it's like nudging it aside. and slowly it will take over.
1: The main priority and that's maybe where the fear comes from. I think that's part of it. And as I'm kind of listening to you describe it, I'm realizing how do you you and I define work? Yeah. Like I don't have a good definition of work. Maybe that's why I'm struggling to like fit it back in. Cause when I did think about it, I was like, Well, what are my expectations for myself hmm. going back to work? Like how much do I expect to get done in a week? And maybe these are like the completely wrong questions to be asking. But it's like, how much progress am I expected to make? What kind of progress? You get what I'm saying? Because like I shared before, like for some people, like what you're doing now is their life, is their work, right? For writers, for like professional, I to use that word, but not to say you're not a professional, but for like, let's define this for people getting paid to write. Mm-hmm. They do what you do. Yeah. What you're doing is considered work. I think for you, like... Maybe it's hard to define it as work because you're not getting paid for it. Maybe that's one aspect. Or maybe you just don't classify it as work in your head because you're not getting paid for it. And so you're like, this is not work. This is whatever. This is personal. This is just me journaling. I don't know. I'm just speaking out loud here. That's interesting. Maybe this all stems from having a, what am I trying to say?
0: Our relationship with work for us, how we grow up is linked to income. And in a world where you need income to live, whatever you do for that source of money becomes work until you're in a place where you have enough money not to worry about having to make more money. And so maybe like a lot of us put our self-worth on how much we make on our income. And so when we think about how much progress are we making or how much impact we're making, if it's tied to money, and it's tied to having to always do something for money. Maybe that's the unhealthy relationship.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that that may be something tied in for me. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Even though it seems so obvious, like I never thought for clever. Like, oh, am I like burning out because we're like an R and D business? We're not generating revenues. I'm paying myself a salary from like the investment, you know, from investor dollars. I'm not paying myself a salary at all anymore. But overall, like there's no easily measurable or tangible results from my day-to-day work. Yeah. Like all the business I built before from e-commerce companies to a co-working space to even uh, Ventures FM, right? That's kind of just self-running right now producing this. It's like there's something tangible to it. Like there's revenues, yeah. <laughs> and then there's expenses and then everything that happens in that business is tangible. Okay. And so maybe that's another reason why you're struggling to get back
0: into working at Clever because you just mentioned you. You know, I know a few weeks ago we might have mentioned this. Like, Clever went through a restructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the founders Sean and Servy decided to cut their own salaries. You gave up your salary, and maybe that's the fear kind of tied into going back to work. Is what do I do now? How do I measure progress or worth? when I'm not making anything to get to a place where I can make something.
1: Let me clarify that. So like the personal income portion, I'm I'm not too concerned about. I don't think that's what drove me anyway. Mm -hmm. Cause it was so nominal for both of us. Like we gave up really high paying jobs to be paid basically nothing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think it's more so like I'm working on a business where, and then this is just something I'm not, I don't think I'm used to. I've been thinking about this. I'm not used to being a, a business where like, we're not making money. And it's a mind fuck it's like you're building a business but you're not making any money i'm not a trained scientist like i totally understand when like scientists are like you know they develop a drug and it's like we're just spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to develop this drug for like 10 years and then we'll patent it and then we'll sell it and make a boatload of money i feel like that kind of job requires a person with immense patience and i think i'm really coming to the the nail of this, requires immense patience. And like, they're okay with delayed gratification. Like Mink. Mink is a perfect example of that. Mink is a physician. She is like the epitome of delayed gratification. She was in school. All doctors are in school for like- Forever. 10 plus years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? 10 plus years, the epitome of delayed gratification. Yeah. I am the opposite of that. I am a product of instant gratification. And I I know that's, that's not something to be proud of, I think I had this habit even pre social media. Social media, I think, taught instant gratification and, and Amazon one day prime, like definitely distorted a lot of people's habits into this idea of like instant gratification. Like, and we, I don't know if we talked about this last week. I think we did. Whereas, like in Michigan, you know, I wouldn't have to wait like three days for something oh, or four yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this last week. It's like living in California, everything is one day. You can actually get same day sometimes. Yeah. Which is just like, you're like, yeah want this now. (laughs) But like I said, even before all these things were created in society, I think I just always had this side of me that's been impatient. And I've been practicing patience. My impatience, I don't think anybody's impatience. It doesn't cross into every aspect of their life. For me personally, it's really just around results. It has nothing to do like I'm very patient with people. Like if somebody's rude to me, if someone's like mad at me, Like, I'm very patient to, like, listen and hear them out and figure it out. When it comes to, like, personal achievement, I'm very impatient. But I can't say that for everything either. Because, like, golf, like, I have no expectation that I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to join the PGA Tour in, like, six months, you know? like Yeah. I tell myself straight up, like, this is going to take years to get to a level of even something. So maybe it's
0: what you just said, setting expectation where your first business, you didn't have the expectation to succeed right away, but you started several and all of them have succeeded. And so you've grown used to starting a business and expecting it to see success.
1: Interesting. I think that definitely plays an 80% part in that mentality, I would say. I also wonder if it's part of faith,
0: believing that something will succeed. And maybe after having done several businesses where they've all succeeded, you had belief in yourself and set the same expectation for Clever where it would take off right away, but it hasn't met your expectations. And so it has really shook your foundation and faith in yourself if you are the right person.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's 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 100% true. I can tell you that. Because at at times, like last week, I was thinking like, how do I get back into work? Part of the anxiety was like I'm out of ideas yeah (laughs) like what else can I do exactly what else am I supposed
0: to do dude maybe it's time to take your grinding e-commerce sort of work and try to apply it directly to clever maybe like thinking oh what kind of CEO things could I do it's like just if you're on the ground if you're a foot soldier what the hell would you do now and just go do that
1: Yeah. And I think part of the challenge is openly sharing this too is like, I try to read too much into what my partner or any partner in any relationship is thinking or judging. And as part of like, you know, courage to be happy, they say like, dude, a lot of times, like you think somebody's thinking something, they're not. (laughs) You're like creating the story for yourself. Dude, they're thinking the same thing or just something
0: else that's equally struggling.
1: Yeah. But long story short, it's like, you're, you're right. There are some things that like, other excuses but there's like definitely mental blocks constructs that I've created for myself during this unhealthy phase of workaholism but going back to what you were saying earlier about expectations that's something I've been thinking a lot about James like what are my expectations for myself for clever and when I sit down and think about it I'm like why would I expect this to like happen so quickly like there are companies out there that have not found the product market fit in like 4 years I don't know how they're still around but You know, we're coming up on about a year, it's May 11th, we're coming up on a year and a month. My expectations for that is not clear. And I think it's the uncertainty of it is what also something I need to recognize and acknowledge because all the businesses I've built before had relatively a lot more certainty, a lot less risk. We were a business that generated revenues from day one. Yeah. And I say day one, because if we didn't generate any revenues, we wouldn't be in business. Like, (laughs) I wouldn't be like, hey, we're going to start a business. Ventures, you know, production company, like we had a client that was paying us and we're like, all right, I'm going to start a business. (laughs) Like we have our first client that we should incorporate so we can collect a check. And Clever has like been in business for over a year unofficially, and we haven't figured out what it is that we're going to, I mean, forget, forget about making revenues. We haven't figured out what we're going to sell yet. Yeah. Maybe the the question
0: then is, what is success? What is success to clever? Earlier, when you were thinking about companies that have been in business for such a long time, my immediate thought was like Netflix. If Netflix, their definition of success was make as much money as possible, they are failing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the entire stock market is down right now. But Netflix as a company, if, if you define it as how much money they're going to make, which is the ultimate goal for all companies, right? Mm -hmm. But if they're defining success like that, then they're not successful. Maybe then they're for them, it was just get users or get watches or or get people to, not like actual watches, but like number of views. Mm -hmm. And for Clever, I know like the simplest answer would be like, oh, get users or something that would like define success. Maybe it's something even not lower, but just a much easier expectation, something that like pushes your boundary just a little bit, but you have belief that this can actually happen. Because like once you have like something that's just way out there, you don't believe at all that you can make it. And if you set an expectation to get to something that you don't in your heart believe that you can do, you're going to feel like a failure every single day. And I say this because I think this is what I was going through for a long time. It's like I had such ridiculous expectations for myself where I didn't even know what the definition of success was in my head. And whatever it was, it was defined as, I don't know, founder of some superstar company that makes billions of dollars. But I don't even know what that company is. I don't even know how I could get there. And I set myself these expectations and I never got there. And so every day I wake up feeling like a loser and I don't believe in myself and it takes away the confidence. And restarting everything, you just kind of have to go back to not the bottom, but what you know you can reach. But that just like pushes you just a little bit. And I'm trying to think of like something for clever that, that you guys can measure that feels like success. It feels challenging enough where you're like, okay, we fucking did this. But also at the same time, you knew that you could do it. You could put in the sweat that you needed to get there and you could actually do that. Whereas right now you're like thinking, clever is gonna be a billion dollar industry, but we don't know how to get there. We don't know what we're selling. We're not really sure what to do. And that kind of makes it like an impossible goal. And so you're, you feel stuck.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. Success is undefined. I do have one part of it figured out, which is that I think for Clever to be successful, like I have to be successful. Yeah, definitely. Meaning like my personal health and my family, my son, right? Or raising my future daughter as well. Congratulations, by the way, for that. (laughs) And like, I I can't lose sight of that. That's the one thing I think I've been making the time to really figure out and solidify. Like that's my number one priority Mm -hmm. regardless. Because yeah, I need to be successful personally. Yeah, And then um, success for clever. I think you're absolutely right. Like you can't have a pie in the high, you know, you got to have the, the vision. Yes. But you can't wake up trying to like eat the vision every single day. Like you got to bite on something that's bite-sized that you can chew on. And what is that? Something that I can chew on every single morning. It's not a billion dollar company. It's going to be what? And I wrote that down just now. So need to think about it. I mean, you're, you're very close. I think user acquisition is one of those things that when you're talking about hitting the streets, like as like a scrappy entrepreneur, that's not something that we should be doing. And we are in the process of hiring a PM to assist with that. Because I, I definitely, I just admit that I, I don't have, it's not that I don't have, like, I don't know if I have the time to develop the product management skills. So I'd rather work with a product manager. That's one thing. But something even smaller would be the engagement like actual people engaging in our app organically. Yeah. Right, which we're seeing. But then how do you define success for that? Is it like five people engaging? Is it a hundred people engaging? Is a thousand people engaging? None of those numbers feel like, I don't know. Maybe I just need to set a number and say like, our number I think for the month was a hundred, like a hundred people engaging. hundred different people or hundred comments or? hundred different people engaging in some way, shape or form in comments or likes or. Does that feel doable? You know, maybe that's the other thing. Is just like we've been shooting a little bit too high. Like, why not just go for 10? Yeah. So one of the things
0: in this writing course that I'm in, um, the next phase of writing is called Make Your First Dollar Online. And when I first heard that, I was like, a dollar? Who wants to make one dollar, right? But the way that they talk about it, Dickie Bush and, and Nicholas Cole, they talk about how that first dollar, when you make that first dollar, it's intoxicating. Because all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I just made something. And then your next goal is just to make $10. And after that, it's just $50 and $100. And then it compounds over time because you are chasing this feeling of trying to replicate that feeling of like making the first dollar. And so in Clever, we've often talked about finding super users or finding like super hosts or something, but maybe it's not even that, maybe it's the feeling of like, what's your first $1 feeling? Is it an engagement? Is it getting a user? Is it getting a host? Is it getting like the first organic? Maybe that way you can kind of tie it back to some sense of of revenue in that aspect. Like what is it that you need to make the first dollar and then work backwards from there and then chase that case, whatever those like single steps are to get to that first dollar.
1: Just made me realize, I mean, this is the hindsight bias, obviously, but I think the mistake I've been making is that there's been this overarching fear that like, we don't have enough time. And because we don't have enough time, we can't just run one experiment at a time. We need to be running like five, 10. And that's A, causes a lot of overwhelm, a lack of focus. And B, you can't go deep right? And I don't get much learnings actually when we fail. Because when one experiment fails, I have four others that I need to manage and run. It's like, I don't really have time to figure out what happened with the first experiment. I say that because even looking at our goal, it's like, our goal is to get 20 super fans for five podcasts. Why is it not just 20 super fans for one podcast? (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we haven't even gotten that yet. We have like a smattering of like users and fans across a lot of podcasts, but we should just aim for one. And Before, just saying that sounded ludicrous because like I have a whole month, like I have a lot of other time. I have a lot of time because when you're running one experiment, sometimes like you start the experiment, it takes time. There's like a lead time to like for someone to respond and like a back and forth process. And I always thought like, well, why not just fill that time with other concurrent experiments? And that's what blew up my time, Mm. right? Thinking I had that time versus thinking I should respect that time to like a fit in life. and then. Aside from life, creating time to actually debrief and think about and go deeper on this experiments. And it's like, it's such a distorted view because I wasn't okay with it. I didn't feel like I was being productive enough if I wasn't constantly working on something. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest mistake I made. Long story short, I need to be okay with just running one experiment at a time and having more slack. And, And as I'm kind of working to reintegrate back into work, I need that slack anyways to ramp back up. So maybe that's not a bad thing at all. And maybe this is a cadence. Right. That's the other thing, James. I struggle with like, what is the cadence that I'm supposed to have? Like, what is my productivity or my output supposed to be? And I know that for lifestyle business because it's, it's measurable by dollars generated this quarter. But when you don't have that, it's, it's harder. And maybe when you're w- running
0: one experiment during the downtime, it's actually tightening and writing down the processes and the steps that you took to run that experiment so that later on, when you run the second one, you can be way more efficient and maybe run two at the same time because you have something down. Maybe that's like the way to go for one experiment is just, man, make it so detailed that anyone can run it without your support the next time and you can write about your mistakes or Whatever that way, you feel like you're doing something and it's tied to one thing and it's just making it way more efficient, which is what you love, anyways. Yeah, it is. You love like
1: efficiency. And I think I just overdid it. Like when we were talking to hosts, I never really had enough time to go deep with a host or figure out how to really help them succeed because I was constantly afraid that if, a, if this host fell through. I want to make sure I have like five other hosts lined up. And so I was constantly just talking to more hosts. Same thing happened when we were talking to networks. I was constantly talking to more and more networks, again, without never like going deep with any of them because I just got addicted to selling. <laughs> or maybe I just need to help. Honestly, maybe maybe I just need help. Maybe that's like a weakness that I have. I just need to recognize that and say like, hey, my strength is in like, Bring in hosts and selling new hosts and setting new things up, and I need someone to help me do the follow-up, right? Yeah, maybe it's that too. I, I don't know, but I think from a fundamental standpoint, when well, you're right, like as a scrappy entrepreneur when I started those e-commerce companies, like just focus on one, and it's okay if you spend an entire month on one and it fails. I think that's the one thing I tell myself it's totally okay if I spent an entire month and dedicated one client and it just fucking flops. It's okay. I did that with ventures, yeah out of just the necessity and the time, that time, like we only had one client. (laughs) It's like, yeah. But I figured everything out with that one client and then duplicated the process for the rest of the team. And this kind of goes back
0: to the article that we discussed last week, the two-week go hard article. Maybe you just had to apply that to one industry, one podcaster, one host, one experiment.
1: That's a success. Maybe that's what it is. Going back to what you're saying about success, like, Maybe success isn't like getting X number of users or getting X number of engagements. Like success for us is really engaging one podcast host and their community. Yeah, just one person. Maybe
0: it's failing as often as possible in as short amount of time as
1: possible to be successful. Actually, I I don't know. I feel like we've tried this before and I still can't clearly define what success would look like even with that one client.
0: It's making the first dollar, Mm. whatever that one client does for you in the end, right? If it's about trying to keep a company afloat, no matter what business you're in, it's all about revenue. You're right. And so what is that first dollar you can make with that one client? That's so true. What does that mean? And maybe that's also the other thing is like, you're not sure. Are we advertising? Are we like selling, making people pay to use this? Are we, yeah. Like, what are we doing? And so you don't have an answer there. Well, that's good. Okay. That's something to think about. Whatever that one thing is tie it to that one client and see if it works. And then if it's not that one thing, then either change a client or change the way that you make the $1 and that's success is failing your way towards it.
1: Towards $1. Okay. Yeah. $1 success. I don't frame it like I always do. This was a great episode. This is actually a Startup Struggles episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was all of us. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you all for listening this week. I know there's some things we didn't get to cover with James, but it's okay. You know, we don't want you guys to sit around and listen to us forever. So yeah, we'll have to continue this next week. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.